Hello and welcome to another episode of the GC Sunscast, the longest running Gold Coast Sun Show on the interwebs. Thanks to our Patreon sponsors, Dale Snelling, Paul Vosti, Robbie Fiorini, Grody Burgess, Tom Kim and Tim. I'm your host Shane and tonight we're going to be discussing the question, are the Gold Coast Suns the biggest tease in the AFL? And to join me to discuss this is Michael Whiting. Welcome to the show, Mike. G'day Shane, how are you mate? Good, good. So um, let, let's jump straight into it. The Q Clash, you were up there at the Gabba covering it and um, it was a game of two halves, uh, a half for the Suns fans and a half for the Lions fans. Uh, what did you what did you take from it? The Gold Coast Suns ten goals eleven seventy one. The Lions seventeen goals eighteen one hundred and twenty. It was a well, I, I don't really know what to say from a Suns perspective. It was um, a case of, of of a tease of the Suns showing us so much that they can do so so well against a, a side as that's going as good as the Lions. And at the same time, they can also show us the same sort of form that had North Melbourne beat them a few months months ago. Yeah, Shane, mate, ultimately I was just disappointed in the Suns. Like, I, Brisbane went in as favourites. They'd lost a couple of matches and were expected to bounce back against Gold Coast. Um, they're a team that's chasing a top four spot. They're on their back on their home ground. They had plenty to play for. I did expect Brisbane to win and... Um, after that first half, there was major question marks for the Lions. Gold Coast tested them, uh, matched them around stoppages, and really tested Brisbane with their ball movement. I loved the way the Suns were playing. Um, there may have been some warning signs there. There wasn't a lot of inside 50s, but they were able to punish Brisbane um, on turnover and on counterattack, and it was really exciting to see. Br- Brisbane's entries were rushed. Gold Coast's pressure was through the roof, and um, but after half time, it was a completely different story, and I was just so disappointed in the drop off. There was had been so much to get excited about the previous three weeks, and we just didn't see any of that in the second half. So I really walked away, probably more disappointed in Gold Coast than I was impressed with Brisbane, to be honest. Yeah, and it's probably to me, it's one of the worst losses of the year. I mean, we can go back to the. 70 point loss I think it was against Brisbane earlier this year uh, where it seemed like the Suns just didn't even show up Uh, Mm. there was the game against the Western Bulldogs where we didn't show up for the first half Uh, Bulldogs got 10 goals up but then the Suns were able to hold on for the final half and keep keep a pretty even game from then onwards but this was a battle where the Suns showed their ascendancy they showed that they've got what it takes to match Brisbane and then at half time, they just seemed to go to sleep. There was nothing coming back the other way. It was all Brisbane. Uh, I mean, the Suns could barely get their hands on the ball. Um, Corbett and King finished with three goals apiece. But besides that, there weren't too many other goal scorers there that were troubling the Lions. Uh, unlike the Lions, I think, who had Danaher kick three, um, uh, McStay chipped in with a couple, Charlie Cameron as well. And then you had your midfielders standing up, uh, McCluggage, uh, Lions, I think, even kicked one. There's just so many scoring options there at the Lions, and the Suns don't have anywhere near that level of scoring. Do you think these it's it's a real area of concern for the Suns, or do you think it just wasn't clicking on that day? 
Well, I think, in fairness to the Suns forwards, they probably didn't get a ton of opportunities. I think they finished with uh, maybe 40 inside 50s. King and Corbett looked um, very dangerous. I'd love to see Sam Day back in that mix and play the three tall forwards. Sam might be another week or two away. Um, ben Ainsworth looked really good since he's come back from his spell in the VFL. Um, the rest of the forward lines, I guess there's a different dynamic down there with Nick Holman missing. Isaac Rankin's had his colours lowered again. and Gee, I've been disappointed with Isaac. Um, I don't want to hang it on a, a third-year kid who's only played 30 games. And, and he didn't get many opportunities either with just that lack of inside 50s. But I think he can do more to get involved. So, But, but generally speaking, I'm not too critical um, of that forward line. It probably comes back to the generally to the midfield. Um, that's where the game was largely won and lost in that second half. And although Gold Coast ha- have been playing with Chris Burgess as a ruckman, not, not a recognised ruckman and severely undersized compared to Oscar McInerney, I thought the midfielders were very slow to, to react to, to McInerney's dominance. And um, they were at, McInerney was starting to hit it to the outside and Brisbane midfielders were able to get the ball in space. And I, and I thought the mids were a little bit slow to react. And then the the defence was just under so much pressure. Like like you mentioned, all those avenues to goal Brisbane's got. They've probably got the most diverse forward line in the competition. Um, Link McCarthy was a name that that you um, inadvertently skipped over there, but that's they've just got so many options with him and Cameron and Danaher and McStay and Zorko can go forward and kick a goal. Um, so dynamic, and I think there was seventy two inside fifties for Brisbane. It was just the damn wall and. The defenders just had so much traffic coming their way. So my main problem area um, was the midfield, and I was really disappointed when Gold Coast got their hands on the ball at how slow they were to move it in that second half. There was a lot of chipping sideways and a lot of that play that we saw maybe earlier in the year that just wasn't as aggressive. We saw what they could do with that aggressive ball movement in the first half and challenging Brisbane's defence and... And Brisbane's not the quickest defence, and we saw that in the first half with the Suns' quick ball movement they were to get their forwards on the lead. So, yeah, I guess the midfielders around the stoppages, and, and I'm just disappointed with that ball movement in the second half. Yeah, you've summed it up pretty much perfect there, uh, Fish. Um, the the Lions certainly took advantage of the, the undersized Ruckman and Chris Burgess, and once McInerney got going in the second half, he really did look to sort of clear the ball from that mm. ruck contest to give their midfielders the, the best chance. We we know how much of a gun Hugh McCluggage is and he can be very damaging when he gets mm. on a roll. Um, it also took the game away from the likes of uh, Miller and Fiorini who are inside midfielders. Uh, despite Miller's work rate, he's he does excel best in close contests. Mm. And... Um, I mean, Miller had 32 disposals and was only operating at 65%, but he was still one of the Suns' bests. Uh, nine tackles and six clearances as well. Fiorini had a great game, 41 disposals, 78% efficiency, but besides that, he didn't really have the impact you would like a, a top-tier mid to have and certainly didn't hurt the Lions Um Sharp is continuing to improve on the wing. 31 disposals, mm. 71% efficiency, 9 marks. He's certainly becoming a, a real talent and a find since Brandon Ellis went down. He's really taken over the role as being that number one wingman, the the link in that midfield and defence. 
And uh, Jack Lacocious continuing a stellar season as well. 27 disposals, 63% efficiency. So he had a few hiccups, but uh, 821 metres gained and 13 marks. So he's there are a couple of the highlights for the mm. club. And most of these highlights were built in that first half, like you said, the fast ball movement, the pressure that the Gold Coast Suns brought to Brisbane and really, really put them off their game in that first half. Um, and then in the second half, it was completely turned around. Brisbane came out and applied the pressure back to them. And probably what caused a lot of the issues for the Suns was that pressure was being applied in the defensive 50. Um we saw countless turnovers from the Suns with skill errors because of that pressure, which directly relate, uh, resulted in goals to Brisbane. Uh, you're at the game. You said that the pressure just felt incredible. Um, you, like you had to double take, double take that. Um, did you notice yeah. a big difference in the Brisbane pressure and the Gold Coast pressure in their respective halves? Yeah, I did. I, I particularly... I guess the drop-off was so um, stark to me from Gold Coast that I thought they've... I know there is a measurement. I know there's a pressure factor that I think Champ Data comes up with and I still don't quite understand the metric for it, but I'm sure Gold Coast was was through the roof in the first half and that's why, although Brisbane had a lot of inside 50 entries, a lot of them were rushed and hack kicks forward and they, there wasn't a lot of method to Brisbane's ball movement, whereas conversely, the other way... Um, because Brisbane's pressure wasn't so high when the Suns were able to get their ball movement going. They got clean looks and they got forwards into space. But the second half, Gold Coast, Brisbane did ramp its pressure up definitely. Like It certainly went up a notch. Um, and it just seemed Gold Coast couldn't cope with it. And I, leading into the match, I was really interested to see how Gold Coast would handle things once, once Brisbane threw a few punches because the previous couple of contests... You referenced the one earlier in the in the year when I think there was a run of uh, 13 or 14 goals in a row, and the the 2020 contest at the Gabba was was pretty one sided. It was pretty much done by half time. I, I went into this match just wondering whether um, the the lines can intimidate the Suns mentally, almost like when there's a a few haymakers thrown and a run of four or five or six goals, whether the whether the Suns are able to mentally cope with it and um, yeah, I guess I've walked away just with the same... Well, I was going to say I walked away with the same question, but it's almost been answered. Like, I just wonder whether there's a little bit of mental fragility against Brisbane. It was so stark because the previous week when another top four contender, the, the Bulldogs were able to have their moments of momentum, the Suns stood their ground and they fought back and um, they were able to, to kick goals and stop Western Bulldogs' momentum, but we saw nothing of the sort on the weekend and... Yeah, it was just a torrent of inside 50s and avalanche in that fourth quarter. So I understand the odd error coming out of that back half um, from those defenders who were just constantly under pressure. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of question marks coming out of that game. Do you um, think the Gold Coast Suns are the biggest tease in AFL? I think that's a pretty... Yeah, I, I probably think they are at the moment. I mean, there's so much... We've talked about the talent and the high-end talent and the couple of the players there you mentioned. Um, you're right with Jeremy Sharp. It's a really good point. Like He's he's a, a bright spot this year, particularly his last um, month last, or so. And, yeah. and same as Lacocious. And 
Um, and this guy's my favourite player um, now. This guy's clearly taken the mantle as my favourite son, Will Powell. And I, I looked back at the third quarter again early in the week to see what really went wrong. And I thought Will was one of the only guys that was still prepared to take the game on and be aggressive with his kicking. So um, I liked what he did. But there's a, there's a lot of first-round picks on that team. And when you see them at their absolute best, which we saw close to in the first half on the weekend... Just the gap between the best and the worst is just so great. You'd have to think that they are the biggest tees. The match against Sydney was outstanding. We know how well the Swans are going this year. When you've got a gap that big between your best and your worst, I think you've got a fair point. They probably are the biggest tees in the comp. Yeah, it's and it's been a story that's been with the Suns for at least the last eight years, probably two or three years after they came into the competition. We, they've always had... Uh, extremely talented young players but very few of them have actually ever come on and the club just really hasn't had a good luck run with injuries or uh, not too many things have gone right off field for the Gold Coast Suns and it's all contributing to this where we see such good performances we see like even last week despite being a loss to the Bulldogs it was such a great performance from the young Suns um and the yep. previous two weeks, the win against um, uh, Richmond and I forget the other the side. The Giants. The yeah, Giants. The GWS, yep. Um, such good performances, as you mentioned, the one against Sydney earlier this year. But then they, they too often follow it up with a really shocking performance, which makes you wonder how could an AFL side dish up a performance like that? And it happens yep. all too often, at least once a year. Um, it's a real concern, and I, I think it's driving a lot of fans nuts. That they're, they're becoming a, a lot more impatient with this Gold Coast Suns rebuild. Um, but I think there's still enough bright sparks there, as we just discussed on yep. with Sharp. There's these few kids that are coming through. We've seen this year when the Suns have played well, it's been on the back of some really good performances from some of the youngsters. Uh, as you mentioned, Will Powell, Jack Lacocious. Uh We haven't seen much from Isaac Rankin this year, but when he was playing last year, he, he really lit up a few games. Uh, same with um, Matt Rowell. Uh, Noah Anderson yep. has done had a couple of really good games as well. So... It's Ben it's, King, obviously, ben having King, a good season. Yeah. Yeah. It's those... If, if those guys can sort of all manage to click at the same time, we might actually start seeing something, uh, something more consistent. But uh, until then, it's just a, a waiting game for Suns fans. And, it it um, is. Yeah, go Sorry, ahead. Shane. I was going to say, like, we, you do un, like, we do understand that when it's a, a young team, like, you are going to get inconsistencies. You just don't get, you know, when you've got 19 and 20-year-old players in the team, you know, you might you might get 15 or 16 good games out of 22, and and that that means that any given week there might only be 15 or 16 players out of your 22 playing well. But I think it's just the the vast um, disparity between the best and the worst. If we look back at the last six weeks, we look at um, the matches against Fremantle and Port Adelaide. I would say as being almost rock bottom. And then a loss to the bottom team in North Melbourne, who have who have played decent footy in the last couple of months. But then we have these incredible highs against Richmond 
uh, and GWS in difficult conditions against the team in the eight. And then we probably got a maybe a par, it was above par performance against the Dogs. I agree with you. That was a fantastic performance. Um, and then again, back to rock bottom. There's just it's these peaks and valleys that are so extreme. And I would imagine as fans, you, you would just want to see something a little more level, something a bit bit more in the middle. Um, you know, losing to Brisbane by four goals is acceptable or um, rather than eight goals. Um, it's just the disparity between the best and worst, which is just so uh, infuriating as a fan or just as an outsider like myself. Like, I want to see the Suns do well, and it just it, it's hard to believe that you can play so well and then play so terribly um, within the space of one game, let alone two games apart. Yeah, and something we've... I think we even discussed this last time you were on uh, or the Q Clash earlier this year, because back in round nine, the Suns conceded 14 straight goals to the Lions. And I think we were asking the question is how are the Suns not able to stem that flow? Um, it's something that at times we've praised the Suns this year for being able to stem the flow and stop opposition size from getting a run on. But for some reason, it's something about Brisbane. It's something about the Q clashes that the, the Suns just go straight into their shell because they conceded 11 straight goals to the Lions this mm-hmm. week. Uh, they had a 27-point lead at halftime and the game finished at a 49-point loss because of those 11 straight goals. That ended up in a 76-point loss in my books because they, they had the game on the silver platter, the Suns at halftime. And to dish up something like that, that that is a tease. You can't... Yeah. I, I, I can't think of too many games where I've ever seen a side concede that many goals in a row. Um, no, I'd say, and it was a nervous crowd at the Gabba, Shane. Like, there was a lot of nervous Lions fans. I, I felt like it was... And I expected the Lions to lift after half time, but if the Suns could have absorbed that and maybe, you know, maintained a three goal lead at three quarter time, there was a chance to make Brisbane very edgy um, because they'd come off a couple of losses. Um, their spot in the top four, they'd lost their spot in the top four. It, it was an edgy home crowd, and I think there was a chance to put Brisbane under real heat going into that fourth quarter, but. It has to be. There has to be a big component of it. it has to be mental, and I think, um, as much as I probably don't like saying it, there has to be a question over the on-ground leadership because when there's a, a run of goals like that, now we talked about McInerney hitting the ball into space, thumping it forward. Um, that seemed to happen repeatedly. Like it seemed to. I, I can think of four or five instances where he's hit it into space, and you think, well, there's got to be an adjustment there. Whether there's a a player dropped behind the ball to sit 20 metres off the stoppage, or I mean, I'm probably not a coaching expert, but I'm sure there's adjustments that can be made to to stem that um, advantage around the clearances, or, um, or whether it's to um, uh, ignite that ball movement again. Once this once Gold Coast was able to get a turnover to remind them to take the game on, I'm sure I'm sure they've talked about these things, but when they're in the heat of battle, for some reason. Um, it, it just didn't happen, and I, and I think there's whether that's a lack of leadership on the field or, or got, like you say, guys going to their shells, it's a, it's a big problem. Yeah, on-field leadership has been a discussion all year on this show, ever since Jared Witts went down, uh, because it did seem like he was the, the mm. lifeblood of the Gold Coast Suns when it came to fighting back and having 
being able to, to impact games late and change the momentum. But uh, I think the excuses are running thin on that term as well because we've seen the can, these blokes that have been, most of them have been playing a majority of the year. And, I mean, we had Sam Collins, so we had our, our leader yep. in defence. We had... Yep. Um, Tuke Miller, who should be our leader in the midfield, and David Swallow is there as well. And um, uh, I, I think Ben Ainsworth is now at the stage where he should be a leader in that forward line. Uh, the, these And Alex Sexton, who was playing his 150th. Yep. These guys should all have what it takes now to stand up and lead. They should have the authority over some of the younger players that the younger players stand up and take notice and listen to what these guys are doing and and follow suit. But they just don't, yeah. and it's an issue that the Suns will need to address in the off-season. Yeah, I'm so, I'm really interested in that next level of leadership. And you're right about Jared Witts. Like he's, he's definitely the vocal leader around that midfield. Dave Swallow is certainly a... Uh, he's more of a lead by actions type of guy. I think that's why they're probably a good complement as as co-captains. But when Wits isn't there, you certainly notice it. Now Sam Collins is extremely vocal in that defensive end, so I'm sure that he's um, marshalling that end of the ground the best he the best he can. But you don't want two or three leaders on the ground. Most good teams would have six or eight or or ten guys that would view themselves as leaders, whether they've got that tag or not. So you'd really like to see that level underneath whether it's a Braden Fiorini who's in a difficult spot because he's been out of the team for most of the year and only come back in the, the past few weeks, or like you said, a Ben Ainsworth, a Jack Bowes, um, these sorts of guys that are four or five or six years into their career, you'd like to see them being a bit more vocal and and even whether it's being vocal or leading by actions and um, crashing packs or winning tough contested balls. I thought it was funny... I, I, he didn't get a lot of possessions the other day, but I, I like Matt Rowell's intent around the contest. He got pinged a couple of times. He's getting um, better. Be- he's getting better, and he yeah. was so unlucky two or three times he get pinged for holding the ball. When, when to me, he was the only guy that wanted to win the ball. He got pinged a couple of times, and um, well, the, I like I liked his intent. There, there was one moment where Rowell was uh, got pinged for holding the ball. I think he was able to stand up in the tackle and you know sort of try and shake it off, but eventually fell over. And uh, despite not having prior opportunity, that he got pinged. And they said it on the commentary. Uh, yeah. He he was trying too hard. It was at the point now where the umpire legitimately thought he had the opportunity to get rid of the ball because he was trying that hard to shake the guy off. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just a bit unlucky with that one there. Yeah, he was, and I think that I think that led to a, directly to a goal. I'm pretty sure Link McCarthy kicked the goal from that free kick. So he was unlucky, and I think he will develop into a leader. He's played ten games. I'm not expecting anything from a, a ten game player, but I think you know over time he's certainly a, a guy that Suns fans could look to to develop into leader a, a leader. Same as a Noah Anderson, he's pretty vocal, but. These guys are very young, so I am more interested in the guys that are a couple of years older and, and should carry a bit of presence yeah. in matches like Saturdays where you know the tide's against you and, you and you need a couple of players to stem it and push it back the other way. Hmm. Well, there is a bright spark for the Suns on the weekend, and it came in the form of the VFL. The Gold Coast Suns, 122, defeated Aspley, 44, a 78-point flogging, 
And a majority of that score came from Joel Jeffrey. Nine goals. This kid's got to get a debut. Nine straight goals. I'm with you. <laughs> I think you've got to get him in. Like he's, I think he kicked a few goals the week before. Um, he kicked a game winner not long ago. Like it's not just a one-off performance. Um, mate, if you kick nine in the VFL <laughs> um, against Aspley, a, a decent enough team, like you've got to reward that form, I think, um, and give him a debut. I, I agree with you. Oh, I, I don't know where how you can fit him into that forward line. Um, I, I mean, Sam Day's out for one to two weeks, so you could probably yeah. make do at the moment. Um, even if you have to move uh, Sexton or Ainsworth up onto the wing or into the midfield. I noticed on your article for who's in the mix, you're saying Jeffrey and... Um, uh, so this this is a good debate, right? Yeah. So we, we, we can skip over this if you like or talk about it. Like I, I wrestled with this a lot when I wrote this today. I was thinking of bringing Zach Smith in. Um, now I'm not sold on Zach. I don't think he's had a, I don't think he's had a lot of impact when he has played senior footy. But um, playing Melbourne this weekend, playing Max Gorn, all I could think about was if Oscar McInerney did what he did to Chris Burgess last week, Max Gorn is going to do that and so much more this weekend so that was my logic for for Zach Smith and I just think you've got to reward Joel Jeffrey um he's got to you've got to you've got to have selection integrity for me and if that's guys playing well in the VFL and I know there's other players that that you and the listeners will be thinking of guys like Darcy McPherson that have been bashing on the door and 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 Fiorini before he came in but I I think you've got to reward guys, and if a guy kicks nine goals on the top of a couple of other strong performances, um... yeah, yeah. I mean, Smith is a it's a questionable one. Uh, I mean, Ned Moyle and Smith were up against uh, Matt Eagles, former Lions ruckman, and also didn't he win that TV show, The Recruit? Was he the winner he or runner-up or something? So yeah, he won. He won it. He's um, he's a very look. Matt's not um, probably Matt's probably about two hundred centimeters. Super competitive guy, really competitive. Likes to throw his weight around. You'll always get a good contest out of him. So I think uh, Matt Eagles had, I think, 30 hitouts from that game, 30-ish. And Boyle and Smith had 15 each. So they sort of broke even yep. with him. Um, I'm not I, I could sure be talked out of Smith. I'm just, I, I just, from Gold Coast perspective, all I could think of was the damage that McInerney did last week and that Max Gorn's. I think almost unanimously the All Australian Ruckman, and that um, he'll be doing so much. Um, you yeah. know, he'll be taking a leaf out of McInerney's book. And in saying that, though, I mean, Gold Coast Suns had uh, Burgess and Graham up against Grundy earlier this year, and Grundy was yep. in some pretty good form as well. That's true. And they managed to completely cover him. So I don't think Smith is a guaranteed in, but I can understand if the coaching staff want to go down that route. Um, I think you'd probably be a bit stiff to drop Burgess after what he's been through. Um, maybe Graham is the one that would make way for that, but it's interesting because I'm not quite sure how Melbourne's forward line's going to set up. They're, they've been toying with the idea of Ben Brown and... Uh, yeah, they've, they've been McDonald. playing Ben Brown, Tom McDonald, and Luke Jackson mm. normally as their, as their three talls. So it'd be pretty hard to drop Graham. You'd like to keep him in there, three tall defenders against three tall fours. So 
it is difficult. I'm not saying it's an easy. I think there'll be a lot of debate around that this week. Um, but I, uh, I think uh, bringing in Jeffrey in is a good idea. I think that would keep Lee, um, Lever and May uh, more accountable, so they can't just uh, drift off their opponents to to get those intercept marks. And that's what I think the Bulldogs did really well against Melbourne on the weekend. Um, as I think we really missed Nick Holman's pressure in the, oh, the I agree, forward totally. fifty. Yep. And I, th- yeah. I think we need to bring in Darcy McPherson. He's shown he can do that in the past, and it's probably time to get him to play as that terrier down in the forward line with stints in the midfield to try and get under the opposition skin and apply that pressure because it's something the Suns desperately lacked in that second half against Brisbane. Yep, that's, uh, a, that's a fair call, Shane. I can certainly accept that. And I know Darcy had a good game on the weekend. I think he had 26 25 disposals and two yeah. goals. Yeah, and a bunch of tackles as well. So, yeah, yeah he's, he's certainly been knocking on the door in the VFL. And Elijah Hollands is doing what he needs to do. He's slowly mm. coming back into form. He had 22 disposals on the weekend. Um, over to the injury news. Markov went off the game against the Lions early with a hamstring. He's going to be out for three weeks. And that pretty much rules him out for the season, I'd say. I think there's only four games left for the year. Mm. Um, it'd be unlikely that they'd rush him back to try and finish him up, get him back in. And uh, Jack Homsch uh, didn't play in the VFL on the weekend. He suffered a chest injury the week before, and the clubs listed him as TBA. So question marks on whether Homsch will ever play in Suns colours again. And Brandon Ellis, two weeks away after his hamstring from last week. So... Uh, the injury news is getting slightly better, but um, yeah, we'll have to just focus on next year, I think, when it comes to the injuries from now. Yeah, I think you're right, Markov. It'd be unlikely, I, I agree with you, unlikely that he'd come back for one match. So, I mean, we'll, we'll wait and see, but um, yeah, I agree with you, unlikely from uh, for him, to see him playing again this year. And um, let's finish off the show with a bit of talk, not so much about football, but the impact it's going to have on football for the Gold Coast Suns and also Brisbane Lions. The Olympics. Brisbane have won the rights for the 2032 Olympics and development's going to be starting on the Gabba soon. I'm not quite sure where Metricon fits into that, how that stadium's going to be used, whether we see a case where the Suns have to travel around again like they did when the Commonwealth Games was here on the Gold Coast but uh, one thing we know for sure is something is going to be changing the Lions may be playing games at Metricon footy in, uh, while that the Gab is being redeveloped and uh, we should probably be getting some um, public transport options to and from the Gabba there's been talk of a light rail situation for the last few years so that might finally get the go ahead I've even heard rumours of a um, proposed ferry going down the Narang River. So <laughs> it, it could all be happening. That'd be pretty cool. So, yeah. Uh, what... Yeah. It's, uh, well, I guess we'll start with, I'll, I'll start with the line so that the Gabba will get redeveloped. I'm not sure exactly what year it'll start, but um, obviously it's a bit of a way off yet. I imagine they'd want to have it finished by 2030 or 2031. You'd want to have a year or two of test events and um, events at your Olympic Stadium before the Olympics roll around. So the Lions are expecting to be without their home ground for two years, and I would think a chunk of those 
of their home games would be played at Metricon Stadium. I mean, unsure as to the number yet, but it makes sense to to drive an hour down the road. So there might be a, a lot more footy at Metricon in seven, eight, nine years' time. Um, as for the Suns, as far as I know, there's certainly events going to be holding the um, indoor facilities um, adjoining the stadium there. Um, someone will pick me up on this. I haven't looked at the video for a while, but I think there's like a, a weightlifting or, or something along those lines at the at the indoor event. And, mate, how good would it be to get some um, improved public transport to the venue, which if an Olympic Games can't bring that, what can? So I'd be super excited about a light rail being a public transport warrior myself. So um, let's cross our fingers and... Um, yeah, a little ferry would be pretty cool down the Rang River, that's for sure. <laughs> it would certainly <laughs> be a highlight. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, any news comes to, we will discuss that. And before we sign off, uh, the NAB AFLW draft has just completed. Gold Coast Suns had the first pick in the draft and signed up Charlie Robottom, a midfielder forward, 179 centimetres uh, from Vic Metro. She nominated to to come up and be part of the Queensland draft. So a tall midfielder who's strong around the contest. So that should help the Suns immensely. Um, their pick number six was Tegan Levi from Bond University. Uh, another midfielder. So the Gold Coast Suns are signing quite a few midfielders there in that midfield. And pick number eight, Ashanti Bush. I don't know much about her and I can't seem to find anything at such late notice. You wouldn't happen to know anything, Mike? No, I don't, mate. I was going to say it's, it's obviously um, really exciting to get um, Charlie Rowbottom to the club um, as a num- number one pick. She obviously wanted to play for Gold Coast, knowing that nominating for Queensland would result in playing for Gold Coast. So that's super exciting. And also, um, Tegan Levi is Maddie Levi's sister, who Maddie's obviously played um, for the Suns this year and had a terrific year, I thought, actually. And is over in Tokyo at the moment with the Australian Rugby Sevens team. So that's exciting to have um, a connection already at the club with your sister. So... um, Certainly looking forward to watching those two play next year, but it can't tell you much about the third girl. Sorry, I'll be uh, digging into some homework over the next 24 hours. That's all right. I've managed to find a nice little paragraph here. Ashanti Bush hailing from Beswick, a small indigenous community about 80 kilometres east of Catherine. Uh, She's played a handful of games for the Hawthorne VFL side, is a talented forward who has strong hands and a dangerous sidestep once the ball hits the deck. So she was a member of the AFLW NAB Academy and she looks like she could be a very handy prospect. Played for Northern Territory and Darwin. So awesome. Uh, that, this, that's this, an interesting That's one. an exciting trio. Yeah, it's yeah. an exciting trio. And it's like the women's comp comes is coming around so much quicker this year. So they start training in about five weeks. I think the first week of September and then playing in December. So um, not far away until the women's team starts training and um, playing before Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. So looking forward to footy coming back a bit earlier next year when we're all (laughs) craving it after the cricket. Um, And to finish off, we still don't know where Melbourne, the Gold Coast Melbourne game is going to be played officially. I've got a contact that works at Metricon who's saying 
that it looks like it will happen at Metricon Stadium and you you seem to think it's going mm. to be something similar, don't you? We're just waiting for the yeah. official word from yeah. Queensland as to whether Melbourne can get into the state or not. Yeah, that's what it sounds. That's I mean, all indications are the um, all indications are the match is going to be at Metricon on Saturday afternoon. So I think, from what I can understand, I think they're just waiting for the tick off from the Queensland government. So um, all things being equal, there'll be another home game, which sucks for the people of Darwin who have obviously been sort of hanging out for this match and the club wanted to take a match to Darwin. It's sort of been railroaded a couple of times now, but the bonus is for the fans on the Gold Coast getting to see their team another time. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I know a lot of fans on the Gold Coast sort of felt a bit stiff with the decision to take this game to Darwin initially uh, because we already had lost that game against Hawthorne that was moved down to Sydney and uh, yep. we'd, we'd lost the Richmond game as well that was moved down to Melbourne. So they'd sort of felt hard done by it. I mean, I wasn't going to personally complain because, you know, we saw what happened last year with so many Melbourne sides not even playing a game down there in front of mm. crowds. So, uh, but anyway, it looks like we'll be able to get to the footy this weekend and support the Suns at Metricon. Uh, Gold Coast are also playing Southport earlier that day on the training oval so get over there and support the suns against southport and uh, i think that's it for tonight so until next time thanks for joining me michael and go suns